So straight away, Willow is off. She's not messing around. She's not on a sniff like she's on a walk. She's on a sniff, but searching specifically for either bat or bird carcasses. So she doesn't know which one it is. And obviously it could be any species of bat, any species of bird. The whole point is if there is a bat or bird carcass there, then Willow needs to find it, locate it and indicate. Obviously when she's on top of the carcass, that's when you see the indication. So it's non-invasive, so she doesn't lick it, she doesn't touch it. She just gives an indication so Rachel will know that there's a carcass there. Good girl, Willow! Good girl! Yeah! Clever girl! Clever girl! Well done! Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. And I'm Alex Conacher. And this week we've partnered with Atkins, a company taking a leading role in the use of a new kind of engineering support team. A team of conservationists that can find and protect important species of animals much more quickly than even the most experienced ecologists. A team of environmental detectives that leave a lighter footprint than humans as they locate habitats and wildlife. A team of canine ecologists that can locate certain species all year round, not just in the breeding season, which is massively increasing the working window for projects. Meaning that vital infrastructure maintenance work can be carried out more cost-effectively all year round. This is Engineering with Dogs. Dogs are just amazing. This is Aaron Klein. I've been training and handling a whole range of detection dogs, but mainly focusing on conservation detection dogs. So dogs that detect uh, bat carcasses, bird carcasses, pine martin scats and great crested newts. Aaron introduced us to Rachel Flavelle of Paws for Conservation, which uses conservation dogs for a variety of purposes. Hi, I'm Rachel Flavel. This is my dog Willow. Um, we're about to just demonstrate a bat search. Bat and bird searches have become an important part of wind farm maintenance, as many planning agreements require operators to conduct a mortality search. This is basically checking to see whether the operational turbines are causing harm to bats and birds. And if they are, then the use of particular turbines can be curtailed, for example, turned off at night. She's an English Springer Spaniel. She is coming up to seven years old in August. Uh, last year was her first year uh, operationally searching for bats. Previously, she was actually a tobacco dog, quite a successful tobacco dog. She's already found a ball, here she is. In Willow's previous role as a tobacco dog, she would prevent the smuggling of counterfeit products. Her reward for her hard work is to play with her favourite toy, a ball. But different dogs require different rewards. These could be clickers, food, or any other kind of toy. Yeah, last year we found many different carcasses with her, so yeah, she, she's, a, she's, a really, she's a really, really good search dog. So the first thing, obviously, is placing the dog's harness on. So. This is telling the dog that she is about to work. It's like her uniform. So you put your uniform on before you go to work. Rachel's putting Willow's uniform on now. Rachel then gives Willow a command to begin searching. So she'll work like a figure of eight in front of Rachel and Rachel will walk transects. So she will transect like a square or a rectangle. Usually there's obviously a wind turbine in the middle because this is where most of this work is done. And she will walk up and down five meter wide transects. Willow will do a figure of eight in front of Rachel and she will pause or she will change direction when she's trying to figure out where the carcass is. 
upon finding the bat, bird, or whatever particular species the dog is looking for, it will indicate to its handler that the scent has been located. You can just see there, Willow is indicating. The indication is really important because not only does it need to tell the handler that the mission is accomplished, but it also needs to be non-invasive and not disturb or harm the animal that the dog is looking for. Willow is sitting, she's pointing with her nose at a spot in the ground. So Rach will wander up, she will check that Willow is correct, which she is. So when she's looking at the bat, Rachel will then feed her a ball, which she has. So the ball is the dog's reward. So Willow will work all day, every day, in about 30 minute, 40 minute stretches before a break, and it's all for a tennis ball. If you send me out to a wind farm to, to look for bat and bird carcasses, and I'll probably come back and haven't found any, especially something so small as a bat. I mean, a bat against vegetation or against just bare earth would be, would be very difficult to spot. Whereas you take the dog into that situation, it gets its nose to the ground and it will just take itself toward, towards the carcasses. This is Luke Gorman. He's an associate director in Atkins Ecology Practice who, like Aaron, is a member of the Ecology Detection Dogs in Britain and Ireland working group. I'm very involved with detection dogs. I've been involved for the last few years, training them up and trialling them for various species, mainly great crested newts. And going forward, we'll be trying other species as well, such as hazel doe mice, waterfall, and some other more cryptic species that are difficult to find. Luke isn't only an expert on ecology and conservation dogs. He knows all about infrastructure as well. Protected species are very relevant to infrastructure schemes because you could get protected species in any kind of environment from a rural environment right through to an urban environment. So for example, you could have a great crested newt using infrastructure in the rail environment, such as track and ballast as refuge, or you could have a bat utilising a highways motorway bridge as a roost. So in different places, you will get different species, but it really doesn't matter if it's rural, semi-rural or urban. You, you do need to check for these species. Not just because it's the right thing to do to make sure that our critical infrastructure is not damaging habitats, but because it's also a legal requirement. So in the UK, you, you have two main pieces of legislation which makes species legally protected species. You've got the Wildlife and Countryside Act, 1981, as amended, and you've got the Conservation of Habitats and Species Regulations, 2017, as amended. There is also the Protection of Badgers Act, 1992, and between them, these pieces of legislation enforce the requirement to protect certain species. A list that contains mammals, birds, amphibians, fish, insects and plants. And the list is only expected to grow as biodiversity loss becomes a higher priority for government. If you don't check for your species and you do encounter them on your scheme and you do cause an offence, you either kill, injure or disturb the habitat, depending on what the legislation is, you could in many cases get an unlimited fine and you could get up to six months in prison. The actual penalty will be decided by the courts, but you know, it can be quite severe. Luke explains that Atkins first began using conservation dogs back in 2014 for wind farm searches, the kind that Willow and Rachel have just demonstrated. But in 2017, he began working on widening the application of detection dogs. 
and that was to train how effective great crested newts detection dogs were and not not just to try them out in the field it was to scientifically test them using specific methodology that was devised by atkins it was long-term detailed challenging work you can't just go straight into this i mean when we did this these dogs have been trained for an I think it was more than a couple of years by Aaron Klein, who worked for Wagtail UK at the time, and he put a lot of time and effort into these dogs. We wanted to find a way to prove that the dogs could definitely do it. So we had two phases of the testing. Phase one was called odor ID, so that's when you have tins in a rack on the floor, great crested newt in one of the tins, one of eight, and the dogs have to locate the tin every single time with the great crested newt in. So that was just great crested newts, but we did juveniles, males and females, in case they smelt differently. And we also did what's called discrimination training. So we had other amphibious species in the tins as well. So toads, frogs, palmate newts, smooth newts. So other amphibious species that the dogs have to ignore and only find the great crested newt. Phase two was then field searches. And the dog was a cocker spaniel called Rocky. So we had to draw out an area of, it was kind of like um, mixed vegetation. So small trees, small shrubs, moss on the floor. So we, so we drew out an area, like a long rectangle, and we would place, or the, the ecologist would place, because all this is obviously completely blind to the handler, to me at the time. We would place, they would place several newts out into the square or, or none. And then I would have to go out with the dogs and locate one, two, three, or no newts. And so that way we're doing the odor ID phase, which is the dog's identification of the newts. And then we did the field stage to show that the dogs could actually transfer what they can do in odor ID. So locating the newt into the field, which is obviously the really, really important thing. And yeah, they were very, very good at it. It was good and he passed all the tests. We eventually had him as the first scientifically proven great crested newt dog in the UK. In fact, I think it was probably in the world, but certainly in the UK. Great crested newts are the largest native newt species in the UK, growing up to 17 centimetres long. They play an important role in the ecosystem, from improving soil quality to eating insects that have the potential to infect livestock with disease. But despite existing for approximately 40 million years, their numbers rapidly declined over the past century, thanks to accelerating development destroying their habitats. This led to the introduction of both European and UK law to protect them. Detecting them is critical for both new projects and the maintenance of existing infrastructure, but finding them is difficult. So there's always been this need for a better way of detecting great crested newts. We said, you know, let, let's do the scientific testing to make sure this does work and it is effective and we'll get Natural England involved because this will be great to use for licensing in the future. In some circumstances, infrastructure owners such as water companies or transport system owners are given permission to relocate protected species, such as great crested newts, under what is known as mitigation licensing. This year in particular, we, we've used great crested newt detection dogs a lot, especially on rail schemes and on a couple of highway schemes. One of the advantages is that by sniffing out the newts, ecologists don't need to use huge amounts of plastic fencing to trap, relocate and exclude them. Just as importantly, the search is no longer time sensitive. Now historically, 
you'd have to wait for the survey window to open. Which is March to June. You'd have to survey the ponds, see if newts are nearby, and then if they were, they still might not be on your side, they might be nearby, but they might be using other habitats. So in this way, we don't have to wait for the survey window. We can pretty much instantly check if great crust newts are on your site or not. And if they're not, you can basically crack on with, with your work. Luke acknowledges that the newts and other species do move around, so in some cases, repeated checks might be necessary. Both Luke and Aaron have been impressed by just how successful dogs are in locating and protecting great crested newts. So I was working on Manchester Smart Motorways and we were working up a junction. So they were trying to, you know, they, they were amending this junction, putting in new electric cables and all the things they do for smart motorways. And they were having a real problem on this junction for great crested newts. They couldn't clear the site. The newts kept getting into this area just because of how it was. It was really hard to trap. And so I was working the dog and we were just going up and down this junction and the dog indicated on a huge concrete slab that it was a base of like a big electronic terminal that's on a motorway. Dog indicated and they lifted it up and they said yes there was great crested newts under there. So which is for me it was very very early on it was incredible because a huge massive concrete slab you know on the side of a motorway. We were never able to train for that. You know far. yeah you can you can never train for that you can never recreate that. Police have been using cadaver dogs for decades and trainers say that they can detect a dead body in two meters of concrete. So how deep in the ground can a dog detect a great crested newt? No one knows for sure. Yet. But Nikki Glover at Wessex Water is determined to find out. My name's Nikki Glover. I work for Wessex Water. Uh, so I mainly work on like large-scale pipeline works or sewage treatment expansions. A lot of our work encroaches on great crested newt habitat. Nikki is an ecologist and a dog handler. Four years ago, she began working with Louise Wilson of Conservation Canine Consultancy to train her Springer Spaniel, Freya, to detect great crested newts. I was out on a um, destructive search, basically looking for reptiles at the time. And I was like, oh, this is taking forever. Um, and I was like, this must be a more effective way to find reptiles than just obviously looking, searching through the rubble and everything like that. So I got home and I saw an article on Louise doing bat carcass detection work and I was like, wow, that looks incredible. So it kind of, yeah, it stemmed from there. Training Freya wasn't enough for Nikki. She wanted to do some research too. I'm at the University of Salford, so I'm doing a master's by research at the moment with Dr. Robert Yale and he's like this amphibian legend. Nikki is not exaggerating. Dr. Young is a professor of animal behaviour and conservation and has published more than 100 papers on 50 species. He's done so much radio tracking studies on great crested newts, marbled newts, so he knows quite a bit about their terrestrial activity. For the past year, they've done what Nikki calls discrimination studies, which is detection in plastic pipe at a variety of lengths, where they found that Freya could sniff out a newt at two metres. The next step is to test in a variety of soil conditions. So this year we've um, applied for our licence for Natural England to do sort of more depth uh, detection below the ground surface and we're also looking at sort of soil type as well. This is important because the radio tracking of newts carried out at the University of Salford shows that newts will sometimes hide in animal burrows. 
In addition, the research, which Nikki is hoping to turn into a PhD, will also create a scientific comparison between human visual location and dog scent work, so that the anecdotal evidence being reported on projects can be quantified. We were just trying to see, also with like vegetation density as well, so trying to see whether Freya is more effective when the vegetation is cut shorter uh, in comparison when the grassland is quite long, whether she's able to pinpoint the newt a lot more accurately. Uh, so we're doing those trials as well and we're putting her up against another, a hand searcher. So he'll be looking through the grass with, you know, using his eyes. Um, we'll have Freya working using her olfaction to find newts as well. Louise Wilson, who trained Freya and Nikki, also has 10 dogs of her own at Conservation Canine Consultancy. Years of experience has taught her just how much faster dogs are than people. So using dogs, it is much faster than human search teams. So years ago, when I was training dogs to search vehicles, whether it's explosives or drugs, we used to say that one dog who can search that vehicle in, say, five minutes, was doing the same job as what it would take six people 45 minutes. This is basically a four hour, 25 minute time saving. No similar research has been done yet for conservation, where there are also other benefits. But the dog covers a larger area. It covers that larger area in less time. And a dog can also be used out of normal monitoring season as well. Not only that, but dogs are also better at finding things thanks to their incredible olfactory systems. And that's where dogs are amazing because obviously their, their olfaction is, takes over 50% of their brain is dedicated to olfaction. They've got over like 300 million scent receptors. We've got 5 million scent receptors. They've also got a better concentration span than us as long as you pick the right dog. Um, they, they can concentrate for much longer than we can. So you've got the fact it's non-biased, it's non-invasive, it can be used out of normal monitoring season. It has a less environmental impact on your area of search. So all the other search methods out there, it might involve flattening down the habitat so you can look for, for great crested when they do the fingertip searches, for example, or even looking for water poo. They flatten down the area and they go in lines of people on their hands and knees. So that is really kind of a big impact on that habitat, on that environment. A dog doesn't have that type of impact on the environment. Louise is so keen to prevent any habitat destruction and to keep her dogs fit and well that she's taught one dog, Hetty, to do her scent work in a very unique way. This was on another job for Atkins, where the team had struggled to gain access to the survey site using human ecologists. This was a, quite an interesting scheme and it's, it's actually the first time that Atkins has um, used waterfall detection dogs and everyone was very eager to use them obviously because it's great fun as well as doing something new. But for this scheme we undertook the first waterfall survey last year and there were some limitations to the survey. There were areas where we couldn't get to, there were some areas where there's a health and safety risk because the water was too deep, the banks were too steep and the vegetation was actually so dense that it was difficult to look for evidence. So we had to come up with a new approach. It was time to call in the dogs. And I've known who Louise is for quite some time because we're both on the detection dog working group. So I know about Louise, I know what she does and I know what kind of dog she has. So we thought this is going to be you know, a good way forward. Let, let's get in contact with, um, with Louise Wilson and see if we can use Hetty. 
the waterfall detection dog. Not only was Cocker Spaniel Hetty a conservation expert, she's a paddleboarder with webbed feet. So getting on a kayak or a paddleboard, we have got a nice kind of platform for Hetty to work from. So she is safe. She's not necessarily wading in the water for no apparent reason. She's not having to use up all her energy just swimming around. I am literally her chauffeur, taking her to different areas of the embankment. And then when we get to the embankment, I'm either holding steady when I, if I'm on a kayak or on a paddleboard, and then Hetty begins to search the embankment. So sometimes we're very, very steep, and that's what's beautiful about Hetty. She can cover that area. At one point, she put her, her hind legs on the paddleboard and reached really far up. So she is covering a nice section of that area. Then she indicates to me if she comes across a burrow or a latrine or any small ev evidence of water vole. And then I have to, <laughs> the hard part is, I have to then uh, GPS it, photograph it, measure it, whilst keeping Hetty occupied. Data collection is clearly a critical part of the process of detecting protected species. But this is not the only kind of conservation work that Louise and her dogs carry out. We're recently doing work for Bass for British Antarctic Survey. And so we're doing our biosecurity work. So it's a completely different type of work. So we're, doing, we're looking for vermin. And obviously, uh, the Sir David Attenborough vessel has been built and it's been built, it's so big, it doesn't actually fit the wharf that's in South Georgia. So they've had to rebuild the wharf in South Georgia. So this is engineering at, it, at its biggest scale. It is also engineering that you can hear all about in episode 108, Antarctica, building Rotherer Wharf. Biodetection in this case meant making sure that the equipment being sent out to build the new wharf at Rotherer doesn't contain any species that could infest the area. From a detectability point of view, when it's that environment, it's actually easier because vermin and faeces on steel is very out of context. When we're looking for wildlife signs, say for water vole for Atkins, that water vole, it's all in the environment, it's natural, it isn't sticking out like a sore thumb. So from the dog's point of view and the dog's perspective, it's a massive difference on how they're searching. On the island of South Georgia near Antarctica, explorers took rats to the area over a hundred years ago, and these voracious invaders feasted on the local bird species to the point that the pipette and South Georgia pintail were threatened with extinction. Eradication efforts took over a decade. And all that it takes is one pregnant mouse or rat to get on that bow and then your infestation begins. From biosecurity to ecological protection, the demand for conservation dogs is rising. Within Atkins, we're using them more and more for our infrastructure schemes for both new development and for maintenance. And they are just saving us so much time. The more sustainable, the more effective, the cost effective and it's just gonna it's gonna snowball basically. We've used them more this year than we've ever used before. Clients want to use them again and again. Rising demand means lots more opportunities for companies that train dogs to do this kind of work. Sadly, not all of them treat their dogs well or have the years of training put into it that Louise, Aaron, Nikki and Rachel have. It's one of my, my big worries that keeps me awake at night. There's some companies that are working very well and, and the, the, the standards that they've had previously in the world of detection are maintained in the conservation work they're doing. But then there's, there is that worry of others coming in with lack of experience in the conservation arena and also lack of that endorsement from governing bodies and acknowledgement and, and, and also the successes. You need those past successes, which it is hard because it's kind of a catch-22. You can't get success 
successes unless you get the foot in the door. But that's where we're looking at certification and we're trying to create the first guidelines for the use of wildlife detection dogs in the UK for ecology and conservation. This is through the Ecology Detection Dogs in Britain and Ireland working group that Luke mentioned earlier. It's very specialised and there needs to be a certain level of professionalism and training that comes alongside that. So at the moment in that working group we're, we're really focusing on an accreditation scheme which makes sure that people will eventually be fully accredited, they'll be tested, the dogs and the handler will, will be competent in, in that area and that species that they want to use the dogs to detect. Because as demand rises, more training in this specialist area will be increasingly important. Yeah, conservation is nothing like in the normal dog world. It's, it's nothing like explosives or tobacco or drugs. Um, it's completely, completely different. Yeah, I think we just need to be careful that we don't just have some normal person likes the idea of going out with their pet dog and just going for a search because their dog likes to search for food, which is often what I get. People will contact me and say, my dog is really, really good at finding its treat around the, the garden. Can, can I train my dog to now go and te detect bats? Where that's not, that's not really the same thing. What's important is that thanks to the work of companies like Atkins, the use of conservation dogs is not only protecting important species, but it's saving time and money for infrastructure owners. Rachel from Paws for Conservation says that for the dogs, many of whom are rescue dogs, it's a dream job. Dogs are designed that they see things, they see the world through their nose, not through their eyes. Um, so we use that to an advantage and they, I mean, they are man's best friends, so it works perfectly. They are just amazing and all they want to do is, is please all of the time. They want to please, they want to work, they want to be active, they want to go out and they want to play and they get to do all of that within the detection world. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne, edited and co-hosted by me, Alex Conacher, Sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our own intrepid hound is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner Atkins, and to Pause for Conservation, Conservation K9 Consultancy, and Wessex Water. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn.